You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Rags to Riches, Part 3. Enjoy. Two weeks ago, we started a new series. We cover a number of topics. We, this is a new church started in February, so we're seven months. Pretty exciting. And uh, what I do, and I did back uh, actually at the end of last year, I made a spreadsheet. Of all the Sundays and Wednesdays in 2014, I have one for 2015, and, and I pray, I say, Lord, what do you want to do this year? What do you want to impart to people? How do you want to encourage them? And I'll seek the Lord as to different topics that he wants us to focus on. We've covered a number of different things, and they're all available, again, at highwaychurch.us. They're all free. So please go there and avail yourselves of the different messages we've had. We've talked about healing and all kinds of different things. Um, but the last two messages you'll find most recently on the server are Rags to Riches, part one and part two. Well, we're starting part three today of Rags to Riches. And what we're talking about is prosperity. What does God have to say about our financial life? And we please listen to part one and two. We're not going to review today. We're going to move forward. But the foundational text that we've been using is Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. So let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for a new day in you. It's a new morning. And every morning, Lord, there are new mercies available to us, and we grab a hold of every one of the new mercies for our, our um, health, new mercies for our wisdom, for our strength, for our marriage, for our family, for our children, for our job, for our future. We grab a hold of every mercy you've provided through Christ, and we thank you for the abundance of your mercies in our lives. Holy Spirit, we're here to listen to you this morning. And we open our eyes and open our ears and we ask you to speak and encourage us that we may live more so for you than we ever have before, that we may walk with you at new levels of faith and new levels of glory, that you may be exalted and magnified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And Jesus is talking and he teaches us about something that uh, helps us to understand how we operate. And he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Very important to understand that this applies to everybody regardless of what we believe or don't believe. In other words, we're all made this way, that whatever or whoever we choose to value or treasure in our lives, our hearts will follow after that even if it's not good for us. That's something. That's how we're made. Whatever we choose to value or whatever we choose to consider important, we will follow after that. And we talked about at get-togethers this past week that treasuring and trusting go together. Whatever you treasure in your life, you will eventually begin to trust. Okay? Now, Jesus exhorts us throughout his ministry to treasure God to value our relationship with God, to value who He is, to value His Word above everything we have and everyone we know. <laughs> That's pretty serious, right? In fact, to value and treasure God above our parents, 
above our children, above our spouse, and above everything we have. In other words, I can't love my wife as God wants her to be loved if I don't value him above her. If he's not the most important one in my life, I'm not going to be able to love her as he wants me to love her. I'm not going to be able to love my children if they're more important to me than he is. So if we treasure God, we will begin to trust him. Okay? And we will, we will lift up his word above the opinions of man. We will treasure what he says more than what others say. We will value what he does and what he says more than what others say and do. And as we treasure God, and one of the signs of treasuring God, one of the things that the Holy Spirit will lead us to do as we grow in our relationship with God is to examine our thoughts, to examine what we believe, and to see is there something that we believe that doesn't line up with the promises of God. And if there is, because we treasure God, we change what we believe. <laughs> so if I'm studying the scriptures and I find the promises of God and God has something to say about a certain issue, we're talking about prosperity, and I see what God has to say about it in the word, it might be contrary to what I've believed my whole life. It might be contrary to maybe what I've heard at church or to what others have said. But because we treasure him above everything we have and everyone we know, we, do, we receive his word. And we change what we believe to line up with what he said. Okay? That's treasuring the Lord, taking him at his word. The word is a, is a huge part a vital part of our relationship with him. If you don't know the word, you can't have an intimate relationship with him. So this Bible is paramount in our daily lives. Now, so what about prosperity? What does God have to say about it? So remember, we encourage you to take off your religious glasses and leave them off, okay? We're looking at the word. We want God's word on it, okay? Not my opinion and not yours. So what does God have to say about, spirit, uh, about prosperity? What does he have to say about our financial life? Does he want us to be poor? Does he want us to be in the middle? Does he want us to be rich? Is prosperity good? Is prosperity bad? Well, when we look at the scriptures, we see that God has a financial plan for our lives. And why wouldn't he? I mean, Jesus taught that the hairs of our head are important to God. So if something so tiny and so small would be important to God, why wouldn't the financial dimension of our lives be important to him? So now, so should spiritually mature people talk about finances? Should spiritually mature people talk about this? Should we talk about finances in church? Well, let's look at a spiritually mature person in the Bible. He was one of the original apostles. In fact, it's said of him he was the closest apostle to Jesus. And his name is John, John the Beloved. And he wrote five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 
1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. And there were three disciples who were very close to Jesus, James, Peter, and John, and John was the closest. And it's said of him that later in his life when they tried to execute him, they tried several methods, and they didn't work. They couldn't kill him. So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the, the, the book of Revelation. So let's look at this mature believer and see what he has to say about finances. In 3 John, it's all the way towards the end of your Bible. If you go to Revelation, go backwards to Jude, and then you've got 3 John. Let's look what this mature believer had to say about our finances. Now, he's writing a letter. Now, you're talking about a man who's lived his life for Christ who's been persecuted, who's gone through all kinds of difficulties and prevailed, who God appeared to him even after Christ rose. He appeared to him and gave him the revelation of revelation. So a very mature, strong disciple of Christ. And he's writing to Gaius, a disciple in 3 John. And this is what he said. First thing out of his mouth, verse 2. We have it up there. Beloved... I wish above all things. In other words, this is my greatest desire for you. This is what's on my heart as a mature disciple of Christ that's been very close to him and lived my life for him. I desire above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. What? Come on, John, get spiritual. Isn't it funny how religion flips things? And makes you think that, that prosperity and health are, are carnal and poverty and sickness are spiritual. No, this is the Apostle John talking. He says, I desire above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And you know the Apostle John is writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Every, every verse of the Holy Bible is inspired by God. So you know this is the heart of God towards you this morning. That God desires above all else that you prosper and be in health. Let's look at Jeremiah now. 29 verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, why would a mature, a mature disciple, the first thing out of his mouth, he's discipling this man, Gaius. He wants him to grow stronger in Christ. Why would that be the first thing that he says to him? Because a good father desires that for his children. What father is there that would desire their children to fail? What father is there that would desire their children to lack wouldn't there be something wrong with that father's thinking? So the apostle John, a mature believer in Christ, is simply communicating to Gaius the heart of a good father. We see in the scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 11. Now here's someone fairly mature, God himself, right? <laughs> I'd say he's mature spiritually, wouldn't you? He, he's not moved by man's opinions or by the current issues of the day. God himself speaking through the prophet Jeremiah in verse 11 of chapter 29. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Sounds like the Apostle John. And not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's God talking. Sounds like Jesus in John chapter 10 
Verse 10, another spiritually mature individual, wouldn't you say? John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. We've got the message translation here. Look at this. I came so they can have more. We could stop right there, couldn't we? I came so they could have more and better life than they ever dreamed of. See, we've got to let the Word of God change the way we think. Change the way that we look at ourselves and we look at others. And if you'll let the Word of God change the way you think, you'll begin to see things differently. When we look at the Word of God, I mean, there's just four Scriptures, and we went through a number of them last week. You can listen to that on our website. But uh, there are a number, when we look to the Word, we see that prosperity is good. It's not bad. That prosperity is a good thing. Greed is bad, right? The love of money, selfishness, covetousness, greed is bad. Prosperity is good. There are very prosperous people who are not greedy. There are people who are poor who are very greedy. So we can see that whether or not you're greedy is really not dependent upon what you have or don't have. It's dependent upon what you treasure. Right? right? Matthew 6.21. It's dependent upon what you believe and what you're trusting in. So God, we can see from just four references, is certainly has a plan for your financial life. Now you're ready for this. It's supernatural. God's financial plan for your life is beyond what you can do through your own efforts. Amen. Very important. You know, we're talking about God. The beginning, the end. Right? The one who can do all things. So let's look at this. Um, go to Psalm 105. So God does have a financial plan for your life, and it is supernatural. And a good place to look at this, there are many in the Scriptures, but we're going to look at God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Now, we know that Israel was in slavery, in bondage for over 400 years. We also know from studying the Scriptures that it was never God's will for them to be in slavery that they put themselves in that position through their own unbelief, stubbornness, and relentless disobedience. They, they just refused to follow God and ended up in a very difficult situation and eventually in, into slavery. Now, we can only imagine what they experienced as slaves, being oppressed by a nation, uh, lacking certainly poverty, malnourishment, uh, infirmities, diseases, all kinds of things that you would go through if you were living the life of a slave. But on the night that God delivered them, in one night, remember God's plan for your life is supernatural? In one night, He took them from slaves to freedom. In one night. In fact, before they ever cried out to God for deliverance, he was already preparing a deliverer for them. And in one night, 
they went from slaves to free. In one night, they went from poverty to prosperity, from rags to riches. Psalm 105, verse 37. Speaking of this very situation that I'm speaking of, He brought them forth also with silver and gold. Is God carnal and immature? Of course not. Maybe our view of of silver and gold is carnal and immature, but not God's, right? He saw that it was important for his people to have it. Just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, we read on two Sundays ago, right? Your father knows that you need these things, as he's a good father. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and look at this, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. How supernatural is this? You can read the account later on your own in Exodus chapter 12. It says the Israelites followed the word of Moses and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and clothing. And it says that they plundered the Egyptians. They plundered them. They left slavery with the wealth of Egypt. That's amazing, isn't it? Verse 43 of the same psalm, Psalm 105. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. Would you be happy if you went from a slave to being free? From rags to riches, of course. With rejoicing, with shouts of joy. Look what he does in verse 44. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for. Why would he do such a thing? Verse 45, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Did you catch that? He gave to them that they might have a relationship with him. That's, again, opposite of what religion teaches. Religion teaches that God takes so that we'll worship him. The Bible teaches God gives so that we'll worship him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So if you, if you don't see God as a giver, you need to change the way you think. So God gives to them that they would walk with him. What does he give them? The lands of the nations. What kind of price tag would be on that? Right? The lands of the nations. He gives that they fell heir to what others had toiled for. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, in talking about God's financial plan, says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness yes. of God yes. leads you to what? Yeah. The scriptures, see, it's just so good. You've got to know the word. You can't believe something because a pastor has told it to you. Don't do that. Know the word of God for yourself. Get alone with God and crack open your Bible and eat it. Make it the food of your life. Because you will find that in God's holy word is everything you could ever hope for. And so much more. 
So it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. What does repentance mean? It means turning in the right direction, right? Doing a 180 or changing the way that you think. The goodness of God gives us the strength to change the way we think. Isn't that opposite of what religions say? Condemnation is preached so much. And condemnation will work for a little while. It'll make people feel bad, and for a while they may try and change their behavior. But it can never bring about the intimacy that God desires, because it's not from Him. Only the goodness of God can produce the intimacy in a relationship that He wants with you. It's only by receiving His goodness that we can know Him intimately, because that's who He is. So we are big on the promises of God at Highway Church because we want to have an intimate relationship with Him because He's our God. Hallelujah. Thank you. So we know that God's plan, what did He want to do when He brought uh, Israel out of Egypt? He's going to bring them into the promised land, right? Wanted to bring them into the promised land. Let's look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the fifth book in the Old Testament, part of the Pentateuch. Right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So God has a financial plan for your life. And it's supernatural. It's beyond what you can do through your own efforts. So he wants to bring his people into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. I'm believing that for Highway Church. Why shouldn't we take a city? Right? To give you. Did they earn this? Was it through their entrepreneurship or business savvy? No. God gave it to them. They didn't have jobs. They were slaves. This is supernatural, right? Beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill. You know what it said? See, God gets all the glory for this, doesn't he? Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Wow. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. Chapter 8, just go two more chapters to verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Sounds like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, right? In which you will lack nada. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Right? He didn't say when you're poor and hungry, you'll bless the Lord. When you've eaten and you're full, God wants to give to you so that you can know who he is. So we see there was a supernatural transfer of wealth from the nations to his people. Old covenant. Look at a couple more scriptures uh, in the old covenant. Isaiah chapter 45. We really, we just like to read the word at Highway Church. We don't need to say much of anything. Just read it. Isaiah chapter 45, 
So this supernatural plan in the Old Covenant, we see that it was a supernatural transfer of wealth from the nations to his people. Not their own works. It was the goodness of God. Isaiah 45, look at this. Now this is years, generations now after being in the promised land. This is long after King David, long after Solomon. This is around King Uzziah and Manasseh, around those guys, okay? Verse 45, the prophet Isaiah is speaking. The Lord is speaking through him. He says, I will go before you, prophetic, right? And make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. Now look at this verse 3. This will shatter those religious glasses right here. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Why would he do that? That you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. Let's look at that in the message. Eden, can you pull that up there in the message? I'll lead you to buried treasures. <laughs> Secret caches of valuables. What is it when God does that in our lives? Confirmations that it is I, in fact. I, God, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. One more scripture from Proverbs. Then we'll go to the New Testament. God's financial plan for your life. It's supernatural. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So if a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, how much more does God to his children? Us, right? And look at this. And the wealth of the sinner is what? Stored up for the righteous. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? 2 Corinthians 5, God made, us to, God made Jesus to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Look how the Amplified says it. Verse 22. The wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of of the righteous. See, drug dealers don't realize it, but that money's coming to the church. They have evil intentions, but God's working on our behalf to, to take that evil money and put it into the hands of his people to do good things with it. The wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. Amen. Sounds like Romans 8.28 to me, and we know that God works all things together for good, for those who love him, right? So we see this in God. If we'll look at the scriptures, not what man says, we see this desire in God to take the wealth of the nations and put it in his people's hands. That they would walk with him and show forth who he is in the earth. God wants to prosper you because he loves you. It's just that simple. And he's a good father. He's the father of fathers. But I want you to know something. It's not just because he loves you. But God wants to prosper you because he wants to show himself through you to others. You don't have to answer out loud, but just be real to yourselves. What would you think if my children walked in here on a Sunday morning 
worn down, beat up, and wearing rags. What would you think of me as a father? There's something wrong, right? Something's going on there. There's something wrong. Why are his children lacking so much? Right? Why are they disheveled? When, God, when people see us, God wants them to see his goodness in our lives. And when they see that goodness, they're going to know it's him. And their attention's going to be directed to him. Because the goodness I'm talking about is beyond what you can do in your own efforts. It's supernatural. God wants to provide for you beyond what you can do. Now let's look at this in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Three more scriptures and we're all done. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. So if God provided for his people supernaturally in the Old Testament, how much more in the New Testament? Right? Because it's a better covenant built on better promises. And this is a general rule of thumb based on what Jesus did for us. Anything they had in the Old Testament that was good, we have ever more so in the New Testament because it's a better covenant. That's what Hebrews chapter 8 Verse 6 tells us, it says, The ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, talking about the old covenant high priests, is as superior to the Old Testament high priests as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. So what is the promised land for us today? We have this new covenant with God that's as far superior to the old covenant as Jesus is superior to the old covenant. It's built on better promises. In the old covenant, God called his people to one geographical location. And that was the promised land, a physical geographic location. In the new covenant, Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So the promised land for us in the New Testament is not one geographical location, but it is the place of faith in God's promises. The place of faith where I am daily experiencing the promises of God in my life. God wants to bring each one of us into an intimate relationship with him that by faith we would receive his supernatural provision for our lives. So it's really not the promised land so much as it is a, the, the, the life of promises. He's given us, he wants us to live a life where his promises are experienced. Okay, you see the difference? So we're not looking for some geographical location. We're in relationship with him, trusting him, and looking for the fulfillment of his promises in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and one more scripture after this. So for New Testament believers, us living in 2014, we are, we are living in the promises of God. We live by faith. That's how the righteous live, 
right? It says in Romans, we live by faith. We live by confidence in the supernatural provision of God for our lives, okay? Now, before we read this, let me ask you a question. Does God providing for me supernaturally, does that mean that I don't have to work, that I don't need a job? Does that mean I can sit on my couch and eat combos all day and watch TV? No, it doesn't. What it does mean is that our reason for working is different than the world's. Stay with me on this before we read 2 Corinthians. If you don't know God and you're in the world, you work primarily because you want to earn money, and that's not bad. But maybe you're trying to make ends meet or you have a, a business idea and you want to see it come to fruition. And that's not bad. But so many, that is the reason for what they do, to turn a profit or to make ends meet to pay the bills. It should not be our motivation for working. Let me explain to you what I mean. God has deposited gifts and potential in you. I'm thinking of, uh, we have an uncle visiting us and Jennifer's dad. They have like an engineering kind of mind and they just see how things work. They have, and they can, they're good teachers. They have a gift deposited in them. You have gifts deposited in you, whether you realize it or not. And as you walk with God, he will show you what he's deposited in you. And what God desires is that you would seek him as to how to employ your gifts. That's our motivation for working. You see the difference? We're trusting God to meet our needs financially. We're trusting God to transfer the wealth of the sinner unto us, to transfer the wealth of the nations unto us. So when we're, when we're considering work, we're saying, God, show me where to go, what to do, and how to employ what you've put inside of me so I can live my life to the fullest potential. You see the difference? So there's no fear. We're not out pounding the pavement trying to get out of debt or make ends meet. We're trusting God to show himself strong on our behalf to financially provide for us and, we're, and to lead us to where we're employed. So if right now, maybe the job you have, maybe that was the reason you got it, just to pay some bills, and that's okay. And I'm not telling you to quit that job. But what I am encouraging you to do is to begin to seek the Lord privately in your own life and say, Lord, is this where you've called me? Is this the job you want me? Is this how you want me to be spending my time? And if not, show me what the next step is in your plan for my life. You'll be amazed at how he will lead you. You can work from home. You can do all kinds of different things. You might want you to start your own business. I don't know. He knows because he made you. All right? So this, this is a different kind of life. It's a different way of living. It's by faith, all right? And it takes the stress off of us. Regardless of what the economical circumstances or conditions are, we will be employed as we seek Him because He's our employer. You understand? He will work it out. So our goal is, is not to make ends meet. Our goal is to fulfill our destiny, to utilize every gift He's put inside of us to the maximum. All right, now, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. 
No matter how many, have you ever counted the promises in the Bible? I haven't. There's got to be at least hundreds of them, if not thousands. And it, we just read here in the New Testament, regardless of how many there may be, every single one of them was stamped with a yes in Christ. Every time I read a promise, Old Testament and New, I say, thank you, God, for it in my life. Thank you for the fulfillment of every promise that you made in my life. It's stamped yes. And as we grab a hold of these promises and we speak them with our mouths like we did earlier with Isaiah, we speak the promises. We say, so be it in our lives. God is glorified in our lives, right? That's what it says. The amen is spoken by us. The promises are spoken by us to the glory of God. Last scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God has given to each of us exceedingly great and precious promises. Why? That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. We major on the promises of God at Highway Church. Why? Not because we're greedy. Not because we're covetous. Because we treasure our relationship with God more than anyone we know and everything we have. Right? So because we treasure God, we look to His Word and we see it's through His promises that we experience His nature. Okay? Last translation, the message. Look what the message says about the promises of God. They are your tickets to participation in the life of God. So God has a financial plan for your life. He desires that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And it is a supernatural plan. It is beyond what you can do through your own efforts. You are free from the worry of not having enough, of lacking in any way, because God is your shepherd, and you shall not lack, and those who seek him lack no good thing. We're free to employ our gifts as God directs us and watch his supernatural provision unfold in our lives. Amen. Now, next week, we're going to continue in this because we want to get into, into some specifics. God has installed some principles in the earth in Genesis that we need to be participating in to activate this plan in our lives. And we don't have time to get into that today. We're going to get into that next week. All right? So enjoy the word online through highwaychurch.us and come next Sunday and let's go deeper. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this time that we've had together in your word. We thank you, Lord. It's your goodness that changes us. It's your goodness that able, enables us to think differently. And Father, we set our hearts on you. We treasure you above everything we have and everyone we know. And we thank you for your plan for our finances. It is your plan to prosper us not to harm us, to give us a hope 
in a future. So, Father, we ask that you give us wisdom as to how to employ the gifts that you've deposited inside of us. Lord, that we would fulfill your destiny, each one of us taking our place in the earth as you have purposed us, living the life that you made ready for us to live. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God's financial plan for your life is supernatural. He gave to us his promises so that we could experience him. Put your faith in his promises and let his financial plan for your life unfold. In Jesus' name, amen.